Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A warning before we start. This episode includes strong language and discussions about suicide and child sexual abuse. I mean, almost immediately, she would tell these very intricate stories about how she had been abducted into a cult when she was a child. I'm Tori McClellan, and uh, how do I put it? I'm, I used to be friends with Teal. Yeah, I, I used to be friends with Teal. You met Tori back in part two. Tori spent a lot of time studying at this bookstore called The Cosmic Spiral in Utah. It's the same store where Teal was doing energy healing work in 2011. That was when I met Teal and when I kind of got mixed up into that whole world. Teal was first launching her spiritual career around this time. She had this little house on a street that was called Teal Drive. You heard that right. Teal was living on Teal Drive. But Tori wasn't visiting as a client. Teal invited her over for dinner as a friend. One of the first things that she said to me was like, well, you know why we're here, right? I was like, no. <laughs> like, you invited me? And she started talking about how, like, we knew each other from past lives and stuff like that. Tori says she was skeptical of Teal. But she liked hanging out with her and Blake, Teal's friend and business partner. She says they'd cook meals together and binge watch New Age self-help DVDs. There was something about Teal that had me kind of stick around. We kind of had this little like understanding of depression and difficult situations growing up. I was just a depressed loner. Hers was to a different level, but... Um, so there was, like, that type of, like, comfortability, like, oh, okay, like, she kind of gets me. The summer after they met, in 2012, their relationship shifted. Teal started telling Tori some strange things, like how they actually knew each other when they were kids, even though they grew up in different areas of Utah. We, we got in a fight because she was telling me these things that were insane. She began to start telling me that I had actually grown up with her and that I was a part of this cult that she had been experiencing. That we met when we were at this ritual in the woods, in the mountains. It was like a child sacrifice. And she would kind of say things like, do you remember the trees? Do you remember the fire, the, the people? And I'm like, no, like, I don't know what you're talking about. That's insane. She just said that there was a lot of work that I needed to do because I, I was repressing all of these memories of being abused to the degree that she says that she had been abused. So we, we just got in this argument that ended with me like just like being in tears because I'm like, like, I care about you like as a friend, but I don't, I can't grasp this. Like, I don't understand what you're doing here, like why you're telling me this. Um, and why you're trying to convince me so much that this thing happened. So finally, she just like wrote down on a piece of paper, Barbara Snow. 
Barbara Snow. Remember that name. She was Teal's therapist, and Teal wanted Tori to go see her. But we'll come back to that a little bit later. When I started reporting on Teal Swan, I was concerned with her current practices and how it might harm some of the people who find her online. But the more I found out about her past, about the abuse she says she suffered, the more I realized just how much it shaped her current methods and the authority she has today with her followers. And no one understands that better than Teal. If there is no abuser, there is no Teal Swan in the world today. They are not, they're not mutually exclusive. It is because of a lot of the suffering I went through with him and a lot of the awakening experiences I had in that torture that I'm even doing what I'm doing today. So without that, there is no Teal Swan. I mentioned Teal's childhood in episode two, how she told me about being abused by a family friend. But there's a lot more to it that we didn't go into, like how she says that person pulled her into a satanic cult. I'm Jennings Brown with Gizmodo, and this is The Gateway. Part five, memories. It's a secret world full of abuse that many refuse to believe exists. Tonight, one Idaho woman is sharing her story. This newscast is from October 2014. It's a local ABC affiliate in Boise, Idaho. Rewrite their entire version of reality. For 13 years, reality for Till Swan was that of a satanic cult. Life, according to Swan, consisted of abuse, both physically and sexually, and murder. Teal Swan is sitting in an office chair across from a local news reporter. Stock footage of fire and occult symbols flash on the screen. How many children did you watch him kill? I can remember, well, him specifically, not the group five. The trauma in Teal's childhood is a major part of her identity as a spiritual leader. She's spoken publicly about it, written about it, made videos. It was a part of her spiritual awakening. And many of her followers cite her history as one of the main reasons they follow her. Many of the people I spoke with throughout reporting this story mentioned Teal's abuse. I feel like it gave me permission not to be perfect, too. And I think that's why a lot of people are so inspired by her. Something about how authentic she was about her past really resonated with me. If someone can go through the darkness and, and like see the light, then like anyone can, because she was so, her, her story is just unbelievable. Like it's just, she went through fucking hell, like actual hell. And because my story is as dark as her story, she could relate to someone who have been through what she has been through too, because she has been through the worst of humanity and I've been through the worst of humanity too. This last voice is Emmanuel Amana. I met him at Teal's Philia Center in Costa Rica. Emmanuel is a survivor of the Rwandan genocide. Spirituality helped him cope with the trauma. But nothing quite resonated with the darkness he felt inside until he found Teal's YouTube videos. He felt that Teal's torture was on the same level of the horrors that he had been through. And when finally you meet someone who can connect to that and that you you don't have the feeling that you're walking alone in that darkness, it feels good. It really feels good. When Teal teaches people how to heal trauma, she's speaking from firsthand experience. I've told you about how, from a young age, Teal knew she was different 
She was hypersensitive and said strange things. She was treated like a complete outsider in the mostly Mormon conservative town she grew up in. Her parents tried everything from doctors and psychologists to Chinese energy healing to help her. They had this veterinarian friend who did alternative healing with livestock and horses. She loved horses, so they thought maybe he could help. When I'm talking about all of this stuff going on and like people are clapping and I'm, I can actually see the noise and I'm hearing colors and when I've got this whole thing going on, my parents are just like, this is over our head, like way over our head. So this guy came in and he's like, it's not over my head. I, I can, I actually know what to do about this. Teal's never said his name publicly. She just refers to him as Doc. She said he was a member of this satanic cult that involved her in their rituals. He was supposed to be like a mentor to her. She would assist him when he would treat sick animals. Often he was using holistic healing methods. He taught her about metaphysical pseudoscientific ideas like quantum healing and how you can manipulate energy with your mind to heal others. She thanks him in her first book. Well, he was a brilliant man. That's the truth. I learned a great deal about the quantum physics reality from him. What, what did you a great about? deal about brainwaves. Yeah, great deal about human behavior, great deal about how your energy affects other things and other people. Tons of information about vanishing into the wilderness. If you started a countdown right now, I could vanish and you'd never find me again. I feel like that's probably not a skill that you need to use too often. Probably not. But the, what, what do you mean by <laughs> quantum physics? How do you use quantum physics? The way that mind affects reality. That's basically what I teach every day. Mm-hmm. And it was one of his obsessions. But Teal also says that Doc abused her emotionally, physically, and sexually as a part of this satanic cult he was in, and that her parents had no idea. So she got caught up in this horrible cycle. It was like this, even though he was causing me to get sicker, 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 mentally, physically, everything. My parents, because they called him, I mean, basically the reason they brought him in to begin with is because of the fact that I was having issues. So they just thought I was getting worse and worse and worse and worse and never actually attributed that she's getting worse and worse and worse and worse to him. She says that throughout her childhood and teenage years, it was like she was living a double life. It'd be the weekend. I'd, you know, go with him doing whatever we were doing. And during that time, there would be like serious abuse then back home. And it got even more intense where sometimes, like, as I grew older, it was like at nighttime, my parents would be sleeping. I'd be gone, come back right before school starts, go to school. And occasionally also where he'd be taking me out of school. I've learned about her past through talking to her and from her books and her videos and blogs. And while reporting on this story, several other people have talked about the specifics of her abuse, like Tori and John, Leslie's widower. This man would like program her to hide this entire part of her life from her family. They used her as bait to bring in a, a Mexican child, and uh, that, that child was actually burned alive as part of a satanic ritual. I think they called it the Blood Covenant. Teal's gone into explicit detail of the heinous things she says Doc did to her. Psychological manipulation, abuse, and torture. She was comfortable sharing these stories with me and with her followers, but they're too explicit and unsettling to play here. Even though the events she describes are extreme, they actually sounded a little familiar to me. The details of Teal's story reminded me of this very strange chapter in American history in the 80s and 90s, 
When people around the country were afraid that satanic cults were abusing children. The apparent practice of Satanism, that's worship of the devil. Now, police have been skeptical when investigating these acts, just as we are in reporting them. But there is no question that something is going on out there. And that's sufficient reason for 2020 to look into it. This 2020 special on the rise of Satan worship aired back in 1985. In the 80s, the fear of Satanism was taking over the country. People were terrified that children were getting abducted by satanic cults and abused in demonic rituals. It was known as the Satanic Panic. And I'll tell you how it connects with Teal in a bit. But major talk shows covered what was known as satanic ritual abuse. I'm talking Oprah. My next guest was used also in worshiping the devil, participated in human sacrifice rituals and cannibalism. And Geraldo Rivera. Satanism is more than a hodgepodge of mysticism and fantasy, more than a Halloween motif. It's a violent impulse that preys on the emotionally vulnerable, especially teenagers, often lonely and lost. Geraldo, the famous show where he proposed that there was a satanic cult that was operating covertly in this country going after children. Adult Satanism is violent and fiendish, centered on sexual ritual and torture, frequently descending into the vilest crime of all, sexual abuse of children. He played a very large role in spreading the propaganda with all of this. This is Mary DeYoung a sociologist at Grand Valley State University in Michigan. She's written books about the Satanic Panic. DeYoung says that the beginning of the Satanic Panic probably started in 1980 with the publication of this book called Michelle Remembers. Michelle was an adult woman who recovered memories of having been satanically abused as a child. Michelle Smith went to therapy because of depression. Then her therapist started doing something with her called recovered memory work. She recovered memories of being abused in satanic rituals as a child. Michelle co-authored the book about this with her therapist. No evidence was ever found that substantiated the claims in the book, but it became a bestseller and inspired other therapists and social workers to start asking their clients if they had been abused in rituals. More and more stories of satanic ritual abuse came out and many went to court. The most significant case that helped set off this nationwide panic about Satanism was the McMartin Preschool case in Southern California. Literally hundreds of children came forward to blame their seven daycare providers of sexually abusing them in rituals that involved cannibalism and infant sacrifice and a lot of other, you know, very improbable kinds of things. The McMartin case started in 1983 and lasted for seven years. Two daycare teachers went on trial and were found not guilty. At the time the case ended, it was the longest trial in U.S. history. The case created a huge media frenzy. And during that time, similar cases were popping up all over the country. Hundreds of daycare centers were investigated, about 50 trials. And let me be clear, Teal's story was not one of these. We'll get to how this relates to Teal in just a bit. But there was this national panic around Satanism. Even the FBI looked into it, and no definitive evidence of Satanic ritual abuse was ever found. Like nothing, not one single piece of evidence. So what was going on? A lot of small things have to come together before it seems plausible to people. 
that there could be some kind of satanic conspiracy to abuse children. DeYoung describes this perfect storm of societal factors going on in the 80s that produced this moral panic. One, there was a rise of religious fundamentalism. Two, there were more women entering the workforce, which increased the need for daycare and heightened this existential anxiety over mothers leaving their children behind. And then on top of that, you had a third thing, which may seem unrelated, but they all came together, I think, really critically. And that is that you had the rise of therapy um, and particularly trauma-based therapy as people became more aware of the effects of early childhood sexual abuse or physical abuse on development. The rise of trauma-based therapy. There was this idea that your problems might be the result of childhood trauma that you don't even remember, that you might have repressed. This even included the extreme example of satanic ritual abuse. If therapists believe that satanic cults did operate, they usually asked rather suggestive kinds of questions and began to build a narrative. There was a common denominator with all of these satanic ritual abuse stories. Therapists who believed ritual abuse was happening and were scared for children, or who wanted to help their adult patients recover childhood trauma they might have repressed. So they did things like ask leading questions. One of the therapists who was involved in some of these cases was Barbara Snow. Well, Barbara Snow is notorious in Utah for promoting false allegations of sexual abuse. Yes, Teal's therapist played a part in the satanic panic. After the break, I'll talk to someone who tangled with Barbara Snow. Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. During the satanic panic, patients were coming out of therapy with these horrific stories of rituals and abuse. And there was no concrete evidence to support them. And some people started to doubt these claims. Some of the underlying issues about children's suggestibility and about repressed and recovered memories, I think, were being scientifically challenged significantly enough that there was a pushback to stop what was going on. I started to look into the evidence for this kind of hand-me-down Freudian idea that we take all this brutalization and banish it into the unconscious where we're completely unaware of it and that we can then reliably recover it later. And I was quite shocked. I, I found no credible scientific support for this idea. 
Elizabeth Loftus is a research psychologist and one of the main people who started to speak out about the dangers of recovered memory therapy. Today, she's a professor at the University of California, Irvine, and one of the world's leading experts on false memory. She's famous for proving it's definitely possible, and quite easy, for people to develop false memories during therapy. I mean, I'll give you a, a kind of a typical situation. She goes into therapy. Maybe she's got one problem. She's got an eating disorder. She's depressed. She's anxious. And the therapist uh, says, you know, the people I've had with your symptoms, were, typically they, you know, they were sexually abused as a child. Did something like that happen to you? And even when the patient denies any experience with child sex abuse, the, the therapist says, well, many people repress their memories, and if you just... Why don't we just uh, imagine, would you close your eyes and try to imagine who might have done this to you and where might it have happened and uh, how would you have felt? And these activities can lead patients to develop uh, memories for things that never happened. In the 80s, there was a pretty big disconnect between therapists who believed in recovered memory and research psychologists like Loftus speaking out against it. It turned into like a full-on battle the memory wars. And the satanic panic and Barbara Snow, Teal's therapist, were all wrapped up in it. The therapists who believed in recovered memory were outraged that anyone would try to invalidate these abuse stories. And the researchers who disputed it were concerned about people being falsely accused of horrific acts and the possibility that patients were developing a false sense of their own histories. These researchers would be called in as experts for court cases involving recovered memory like David Raskin, who was a professor at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. I'm Dr. David C. Raskin. I've done extensive research in the context of criminal investigation, including how to interview children and how to analyze their statements. In a couple major cases, Raskin was pitted against Barbara Snow. She became the most prominent person in producing these allegations of sexual abuse, uh, many of which turn out to be false. All of us who worked in this field knew of Barbara Snow. She wrote a major academic article that fueled the satanic panic. It's called Ritualistic Child Abuse in a Neighborhood Setting. In the abstract of the paper, she writes, the majority of children showed little symptomology at initial referral, with significant increases during the disclosure process. And this study suggests that ritual abuse in neighborhood settings appears secretive, coercive, and complex. Raskin says that when he went against Snow in court, a major issue was that she never recorded her sessions. She never took any notes. She simply said, this is what the child told me. Even though Barbara Snow was known to be promoting false allegations of abuse in the 80s and 90s, as Raskin says, she continued to practice. And even though the satanic panic died down and therapists became more aware of the risks of implanting false memories, Barbara Snow may have still been using questionable therapy practices. She was accused of planting false memories in clients' minds as recently as the early 2000s. And that's around the time she was seeing Teal. This is when Teal was in her early 20s. Here's Tori again, who used to be friends with Teal. Teal, before she ever mentioned the name Barbara Snow, she would talk about how she was with this therapist who used special techniques to help her uncover her repressed memories. When I asked Teal about this, she contradicted Tori's account. 
and said that she didn't recover these memories. I'm actually very unusual in that I did not have suppressed memory like most people. I've had maybe one or two memories, actually, that are fully suppressed, and the rest of them were conscious the whole damn time. At the beginning of this episode, Tori spoke about how Teal tried to convince her she was in the same satanic cult when they were kids. When Tori insisted she wasn't, Teal told her to go to Barbara Snow, so Tori booked an appointment for an hour session. She says she told Barbara about her depression. And almost immediately, she kind of started to do this leading conversation, like leading questions. She also told Barbara about some nightmares she'd been having. After explaining these dreams, she would go on to mention that I had been drugged and abused for many years. And that that's what these dreams are. It's just like a warped sense of reality or memory. It was like these these memories that were beginning to come to the surface or something. And she began to tell me how I was drugged with ketamine. Specifically ketamine? Yes. I do very clearly in my mind remember her bringing up the ketamine and the fact that I had been tortured and drugged for years. What's interesting about that is Teal says her alleged abuser also used the drug ketamine on her and the other children. They drug them out on ketamine and they have them repeat a phrase. It's just basic subliminal programming. Why, why ketamine? Like what, how to... Because ketamine gives you access to the subconscious mind. So as Tori tells it, back when they were friends, Teal told her that they were in the same satanic cult. When Tori pushed back on this, Teal recommended she go to her therapist, Barbara Snow. And Tori says that this therapist told her that she was drugged with ketamine, the same drug that Teal says her alleged abuser used on her. Tori was thrown by what Teal and Barbara were telling her. I remember my childhood very well. Despite being like kind of a depressed child, I mean, I'm like diagnosed with depression. I had a good childhood. Like I had a great family, great friends, and none of this that Teal had told me and none of what Barbara was insinuating was true. None of it. Tori wasn't receptive to Barbara Snow's therapy methods, but we know that a lot of patients did go into therapy and claim to have uncovered repressed memories. I wanted to understand why some people did come to believe false things about themselves. How do people end up recovering memories? I asked Loftus. I think people can not think about things for a long time and be reminded of them. That's ordinary forgetting and remembering. What we know about memory is it doesn't work like a recording device. You don't just record the event like a video camera and play it back later. The process is much more complex. And, and actually what people are doing is they're constructing memories or reconstructing them. So what we do is we'll take bits and pieces of experience, sometimes acquired at different times and places, and bring it together to produce what feels like a memory. Um, to, to, to claim that you were raped for 11 years and repressed your memories and just uh, recovered them a year ago, there's just no credible evidence for the, the idea that memory works that way. And what, what factors might make one person recover extreme memories versus just things that are more minor? Well, one might be the beliefs of the therapist who is, uh, you know, influencing the patient's thinking. So if they get a therapist who, who believes in satanic ritual abuse, 
then increases the odds you're going to get this particular person to start to believe and remember similar things. If people are uncovering these false memories, what kind of an emotional impact can that have? Do you think that can take a toll on their emotions? Absolutely. More than 10 years ago, I published a paper, and and in this particular study of what happened to these victims who made claims after coming up with memories of satanic ritual abuse, they got worse after the therapy. Before the therapy, they might have been married, had kids, been employed. Um, After the therapy, they had an increase in psychiatric admissions and uh, got divorced, lost custody, lost their jobs. So uh, this little small-scale investigation uh, was, was chilling in terms of the damage that these kinds of activities can do to the actual patients. So Loftus's research shows that this kind of therapy can potentially do some real damage. I also wondered if someone really was abused and then their therapist convinced them that the abuse was a part of satanic rituals, could that discredit the details of their story that are true? Well, I think you're raising an interesting point about another cost for the victims of this kind of psychotherapy, that the the true parts of their stories don't get to be believed anymore. Right. I mean, I'd always been thinking that the cost for them was depriving them of therapy that could really help them, but you've just given me another another cost. Yeah, it's, it's what I'm grappling with here. <laughs> Teal told me she saw Barbara Snow over the course of a couple years in the 2000s, around the age of 20 to 22. I still consider her to be one of the best psychologists that I have been to. Barbara was a comforting figure in Teal's life. When I started telling her the stories about, you know, what was going on with me in childhood, she literally just started crying. It was actually the first time that I ever had a therapist cry. I'm trying to understand whether and how Barbara Snow influenced Teal. If it did more damage than good, how that connects with Teal's work today, and whether something like the completion process, Teal's signature therapy method, might be dangerous. When Teal was working with Barbara Snow, she had Teal file a report about her abuse with the local police department. After the break, my producer Jessica joins me in the studio to go through the police report. Teal told me she had filed a police report about her abuse when she was younger. So I requested a copy of that document from the police department in the town she grew up in. By this point in our reporting, we'd been piecing together Teal's life based on her blogs, her videos, her books, and our interviews. Jessica basically made, it's like a digital version of a corkboard with string connecting all these notes. So she went through this public document to see what we could add to the board. Okay, so here's what we know. First, Barbara Snow called the police on Teal's behalf. And then the next day, Teal's interviewed by the police with Barbara in the room. 
Teal tells them about the abuse she experienced across ages um, 7 to 18. She mentions a lot of sexual abuse, physical abuse. And she says her abuser saw her as a portal to another universe. A portal to another universe. Yeah, this is actually in the police report. So they hear her story, and because of the level of detail that she describes to them, the police say in this report that they believe the events likely occurred in Teal's life. And so they sort of start to do some, like, low-level investigation where they just confirm basics. They do a criminal background check, and they look into his license as a veterinarian. But she tells the police that she doesn't want to testify against him because she's afraid of retribution. So the police decide not to reach out to him. Nothing's really done for about a year and a half. And then Teal gets back into contact with the police along with her new husband. She's 23 years old and newly married to a man named Mark Scott. And she's ready now to move forward with the investigation. They do an interview with her that lasts several hours. And at the end of the interview, they write in the report that there's full intent to prosecute. So then what do they do next? They do three things. First, they do a medical exam, and they don't find any evidence of ritual abuse. Now, that doesn't mean there wasn't some other kind of sexual or emotional abuse going on, because often that doesn't leave scars. But in terms of evidence of ritual abuse on Teal, there's no evidence. The second thing is she gives them her middle school diaries, which she said had mentions of the abuse. Um, But the report says that the police didn't actually find any specific references to it. So they looked through her diaries and didn't find any references of abuse. Right. And then the third thing in the investigation is they look into her therapist, Barbara Snow, and Barbara's history of being involved in satanic ritual abuse cases. And this apparently casts doubt on Teal's whole story. It says... Snow had been involved in other ritual abuse cases in Utah County, and her practices had been questionable. Which is putting it lightly. Yeah, that's putting it lightly for sure. Especially since these cases weren't just during the satanic panic. Something happened more recently with Barbara in the early 2000s. I don't know if it impacted the police report, but it happened around the same time she was seeing Teal. So Barbara was investigated by the state of Utah for practicing counseling on family members, which you're not supposed to do. No. Um, but the the kicker is that she allegedly implanted false memories of sexual and ritual abuse and military testing in these two particular family members of hers. And all this is happening around the same time that she's seeing Teal. Yeah. There were a couple articles about it in the Salt Lake Tribune. And in the end, the state dropped the allegations, and Snow agreed to voluntarily go on probation in order to avoid litigation. And as far as we know, she's still seeing clients today. So what do we know about her beliefs now? Well, actually, I had been emailing with Barbara Snow, and, you know, she didn't want to comment for the story. But in our email exchange, I'm going to pull it up now— It was clear to me that she wholeheartedly believes that this is still a widespread problem. How so? When I emailed her, I used the phrase satanic ritual abuse. And when she wrote me back, she said that, quote, it's not accurately portrayed by the generalized term satanic ritual abuse. Child abuse in this context may include anyone or combination of the following. Multidimensional child abuse sex rings, medical slash military sponsored mind control, commercial pornography and domestic sex trafficking of children, uh, and and it goes on. Hearing that list, something that stands out to me 
she mentions child sex trafficking, which is a very real issue. Mm-hmm. But when you blend it together with all of these other things that have been debunked or discredited or, frankly, have nothing to do with each other, that makes it harder to identify any abuse that really has happened. Yeah, that's actually, I think, what may have happened in this police report. It ends where it says they, quote, did not feel there was anything that could be prosecuted. In part because of Barbara Snow's involvement, they seem to have stopped looking into whether there was any ritual abuse or really any abuse at all. That's it for the case. It's listed as inactive. This was such a saga. I mean, Teal goes to Snow. She goes to the police. She tells and retells these terrible stories of abuse. And then at the end of it, the police have nothing to prosecute. So nothing came of this investigation. But I want to go back to something at the beginning of the report. There's a real person named. Teal is never named him publicly, and he was never charged with a crime in connection with this. So we've decided not to name him. But she has accused this man of abusing her. We reached out to him to get his comment. He knew we wanted to ask him about his relationship with Teal and the accusations against him. I'm going to play some of the tape from that conversation. When we first met him, it was in this small town in Idaho. Pretty much right away, he starts talking about how he uses quantum healing on animals. Like, first, we talked about how he does acupuncture on cows. Acupuncture on a cow? Oh, yeah. Wait, I'm having trouble. Like, you actually, you're, you're pinning all these needles into a cow. Oh, yeah. Like, how many needles? Well, that depends how good you are. I'm very good. I don't even use needles anymore because it's, the needles aren't really necessary. It's your intent to treat that actually does it. You're not doing anything physically or materially. You're doing it psychologically. That's quantum healing. He talked a lot about alternative healing. He told me that he used to take Teal out on his rounds and taught her how to heal animals with energy. He was aware of the accusations that Teal had made against him, but not until years later. I, I only found out about it in retrospect because the, the police didn't even bother to contact me and tell me that I'd been accused. Well, we know from the police report, right, that they didn't contact him because Teal told them she was afraid of retribution if they did. Right. But he still found out about them because Teal has been making these allegations publicly for years. And he denied them. Here's what he said about the ritual abuse. There wasn't any den of inequity where all these rituals were going on. It didn't happen. It was all in her head. I still had to ask him if anything else was going on. Were you ever inappropriate with Teal? No. He said no, but I kept pushing him. Did he ever cross a line? No. Oh, there's hugging sometimes. Uh, like, uh, I'd come, go to pick her up and she'd hug me. That, that's kind of intimate, I guess. But, but we're in coveralls. And, you know. <laughs> it seems like sort of a strange response, like, I don't know what the coveralls have to do with anything. I mean, he he could have been inappropriate with her wearing coveralls. Um, I guess I guess we'll never really know what did happen between them. Well, if that's the case, what do we make of all this? Well, I think that if what Teal describes in her childhood, if the abuse happens in the exact way that she describes it or something different happened— 
the fact that she believes that this ritual abuse happened to her, then emotionally I think it has the same impact whether it actually happened that way or not. Yeah. Like, I mean, if someone is abused in some way and then over the course of therapy came to believe that the abuse was much more twisted and severe than they initially thought, I mean, that becomes a part of how you view yourself. It becomes your whole identity. That can change your life, your relationships. I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, there that's the crux of it is there's that person, a person like Barbara Snow, who might be helping someone recover those memories. Like, they have an active role in this. And I'm just wondering if Teal is actually doing the same thing to some of her fans and followers. If she's helping them recover memories of abuse in their childhood, like Barbara might have been doing to Teal. It, it seems like it could be like this ripple effect. These concepts being passed down from Barbara to Teal to Teal's followers— and Teal is claiming a much higher level of authority than Barbara. Yeah, she says that she can see into your past, that she understands you better than you know yourself. And she uses psychology terms like inner child work, dissociation, trauma. I mean, she's not a licensed clinical therapist, but she should still be held accountable for something like the completion process, right? Like, this is essentially a method of therapy. Yeah, it is. Well, we still have a lot more questions for Teal. And in the next and final episode, I'll meet with her again in Utah. And she'll tell me what she really thinks about the influence she has over her followers. If you or someone you know is having suicidal thoughts, you can speak with someone by confidentially contacting the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or the crisis text line at 741-741. Both provide free anonymous support 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You've been listening to a Gizmodo podcast hosted by me, Jennings Brown. The Gateway is produced by Jessica Glazer and Emily Pontecorvo at Fusion Media Group and edited by Barry Finkel of Pineapple Street Media. Additional production help by Levi Sharp and Mitra Kaboli. Mondana Mofidi is our executive director of audio. Editorial oversight by Kelly Bourdais. Original score and mixing by Hannes Brown. Special thanks to Jenna Weiss-Berman, Mario Aguilar, Marina Galperina, and Susie Banakaram. If you have any information you'd like to share about Teal Swan, please email us at thegateway at gizmodo.com or leave a message at 315-888-1654. 